What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus for and by queer women of color, queer folks of color, you know, uh, we all family. I am Money, the sleepless sapphic, because we're recording at like two in the morning. Oh, well, I'm just going to bite off you and I'm going to say I'm Nikita and I am the... The tired, tight honey. <laughs> tight. Yeah. Okay, Nikita. <laughs> oh, not not in that. Oh my God, you're just disgusting. What you're you? Sick. You the one who said sick. <laughs> you the one who called yourself a tight honey. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's just drop the intro before you say anything else more vulgar. Your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. You love. Hey. Alright, Nikita. Well, this is episode 99. We have 99 episodes and... Well, was, you have more like 69, but sure. Why would you say that number? <laughs> um, what do you mean? You know. I was just doing the math. No, you weren't doing the math. You started around episode 30. Episode no, 30 you're just two. a perv. You're you did. A, you know what? You should have been, been the stark raving pervert because that's what you actually are. <laughs> I feel like I have 69 episodes of evidence that uh, you are actually the pervert. Nobody, no, that's just so wrong. (laughs) All right, right, Nikita. Anyway, I was saying that this is episode 99 because our next episode will be our 100th episode. That's huge. That's amazing. That's huge. What, you know, when queer things hit a milestone, it just hit different. It really does. Um, so I think we should do something to like celebrate our 100th episode, don't you? Agreed. Well, I think the best thing that we could do is give back to the community that has sustained us too. Wow, that's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. Were you or are you being sarcastic? No, I was. Oh, okay. All right. So in that spirit, since we both agreed... We are going to do a 100th episode giveaway. Yay! I'm sorry. I heard you waiting. Okay. So me and Nikita would like to uh, give three lucky winners $100 to celebrate our 100th episode. So 100 of them things we would like to give three lucky winners. 
All right, so let me tell y'all the rules of the giveaway. Because y'all know every giveaway has, you know, it's fine print. Money so wouldn't be all, a Virgo if she didn't lay down some rules. <laughs> okay. First of all, you must be following us on whatever platform you choose to enter in. So we're going to be um, doing this via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So you got to be following us on whatever platform you choose to enter this giveaway in. Secondly, on the post where we announce this giveaway, which will be the day this episode drops, we want you to comment a Queer Walk or Queer Pock you would love to hear us highlight as Queer Walk of the Week and why. Um, and I th- I don't know how to say this, but like, I think a lot of folks think you got to be some like huge name, recognizable, whatever, whatever, to be Queer Walk. As we always like to say, we just like to give the folks who are doing the work their flowers while they're here to receive them. So this could be somebody who has had like such an impact on your life. It doesn't have to be like a Googleable person. Y'all know that, right? So just a queer walk or a queer pock that you would like to give their flowers. And last but not least, tag a friend who you think would love this insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus. Y'all got that? So it's, it's three very simple instructions. Be following us on your platform of choice. Comment a queer walk or a queer pock you would love to hear us highlight as a queer walk of the week and why, why they should be highlighted. And last but not least, tag a friend. Yes. Am I allowed to enter? No, Nikita. You, how, how are we going to pick you as a winner of the money? No. It's fine. I'll just use my burner account. <laughs> I know your burner account. <laughs> All right, so I hope y'all are as excited about uh, entering this as I am about doing it. I'm really excited to be able to give y'all money. So uh, go ahead and enter the 100th episode giveaway. Three lucky winners would get $100. Oh, and um, I guess I should say you have to have either Cash App or PayPal so we can send you the money. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, one of those two things, either Cash App or PayPal. All right, Nikita. Well, now that we tell we told folks how they can get some money from us, where can folks find us? Uh, at the bank. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you all can find us on Instagram and our Twitter at QueerWalk, P-O-D. Um, you all can find us on Facebook, uh, sometimes. <laughs> Facebook.com <laughs> slash QueerWalk, P-O-D. You can also find us on Tumblr, where this whole thing began, QueerWalk.com. Oh, and you can also always find us in our Gmail, which is QueerWalkPod at Gmail.com. So if you have a suggestion um, of a topic, because we really do scrape the bottom of the barrel for that sometimes... We don't really. It's just that our social uh, lives don't really overlap. And so a topic that I would be really excited about, Nikita has never heard of. Like, give me an example. Give me an example. Mm. Uh, I was going to ask you about this, like, TikTok about fems buying straps i saw i saw that you posted that so we could have talked yeah, about that i posted it what posted you're it. in my social world <laughs> was it 
Was it in your Twitter feed before me? I don't think that's any of your fucking business. (laughs) My timeline is just that. My timeline. Anyway. Anyway, if you want to send me a long missive about how. What the fuck is on your timeline? That's none of your business. If you want to send an email about how I am your favorite co-host and how money also gets on your nerves. Again, you can send that to QueerRockPod at gmail.com. And I so, like how you real comfortable on this mic, even though this is not your 99th episode. <laughs> you know what? It's my 69th episode, according to you. Which mm-hmm. means I'm still having a good time. But ow! <laughs> okay. Did you say where folks could listen? Nope. I don't even know what you talk about. No, okay. you. I didn't tell people where they could listen because you did not ask. So now that you've asked, I'll tell you. You can listen to us on Pocket Cast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other major available in other major platforms where you can listen to podcasts except for Spotify. All right, money. When you're not getting on my nerves, you're the Stop co- Stop saying I get on your nerves. I don't get on your nerves. I give you life. You live. Okay? Well, I think that I think that honor goes to somebody called my mother. <laughs> so maybe you want to take that up with her Are you done? Because I think she would have a lot of things to say about that Alright Alright Okay, anyway glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad we could uh, agree on that So, anyway Money and I are the co-hosts of this Illustrious, illuminating, insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus Leave the alliteration to me. Nope. You don't have a monopoly on it. But. That's assonance. The repetition of a vowel sound. Oh, ass what? Why are you talking nasty? I'm not talking nasty. Assonance? Why do you do this every time I use a word? Because you're saying assonance. Yes, that's what it's called. The repetition of a a vowel sound. Yeah, the repetition of that. Bat, 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 bat. Anyway. I don't even know what I'm talking about. You're talking about asses and stuff. Anyway, can you tell people how to contribute to this podcast before you get into more nasty stuff? I sure can. Uh, If y'all would like to contribute any assonance to this here program, which is not a dirty word. Yeah, uh, right. You could hit us up on all the things and love us out loud um, by doing the R's. You can rate us. You can review us. You can request a topic. You can repost when we post the episodes. You can retweet when we're on the Twitter streets. And you can reply. Tell us what you think of the episodes using the hashtag QueerWOC on all the things or hashtag QueerWOC, P-O-D, QueerRockPod. Um, either one. We'll see it. And other folks will see it. Um, that is a major way you can contribute to us. And if you have any Curved Chronicles... Or questions that you would like to hear me and Nikita uh, answer. If you want to send us like a audio celebration of having a hundred episodes, and we'll include your voice on this here podcast, you can send that to QueerWalkPod at gmail dot com. All right. The second way that you can help us out and maintain QueerWalk is. By giving us your money. And you can do that one of two ways. The first way is uh, just a single time donation over on the Cash App. Dollar sign Queer Walk Pod. P-O-D. 
Uh, no amount is too small or too big over there. Or you can become a monthly sustainer of the program by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash queerwalkpodpod. I am so excited for the uh, patron exclusive content that's going to be coming this year. So um, want to make sure that you're on one of the tiers so that you can have access to that patron exclusive content. We have some suggested donations over there. Are you ready to move on along? Insufferably so. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going right. to toss Nikita off of a, a very high curb. All right. We're going to move it on along to the Queer Wack of the Week segment. Y'all see how she just has no rhythm, slowed it down completely. Just fucking. I chopped and screwed it. You no 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 queer okay walk, queer walk queer walk we don't need I nobody has ever enjoyed the chopped and screwed version better than the original okay that's not true all right shut up Texas um thank you all right so can you tell folks what the queer walk of the week segment is yeah so the queer walk slash queer pack of the week segment is the segment uh, where we give. The roses. We just, you know, give roses to a queer walk or a queer pack who's been doing something worth celebrating uh, that's laudatory and admirable. And as I've been prone to say, um, you know, we shouldn't have to wait until, you know, we become ancestors or, you know, long after we're alive to receive our roses. We should receive our roses while we're while we are still alive, and so that is the expressed uh, purpose of this here segment. Agreed. And today is no different, so I'm gonna go ahead and give us the queer walk of the week for this episode. Um, someone who is still with us. So, um, I realized that this was the first episode of Black History Month for us. Like very late in the game like like as we were getting ready i was like oh snap this is our first episode of black history month 2021 um and i think that we hear like some of the you know like usual names during black history month um even queer black history yeah and so i just wanted to highlight somebody that um maybe um some of us have not been familiar with her work and her contributions so this week, uh, Black History Queer Walk of the Week goes to Trish Milanez Zico. So, like I said, still living legend among us. Yes. <laughs> um, and I just think it's so important. Like, uh, you know, I thought about, I was like, we Black history is being made like every day. Because every day. the fight to suppress our like brilliance is real. So... Let me tell you a little bit about how Trish is making, has made, and continues to make black history. So she's originally from New Jersey, um, and she first made history as a high school senior when she became the first woman to be awarded a basketball scholarship to Monmouth College in Jersey. Um, So this is the first woman, not the first black woman. You know, this is like, period, period. Oh, wow. Um, And I would just like to highlight for uh, the... 
the sports people out there that this is a D1 team, you know? So we're we're not talking about no uh no play play bullshit ass team, all right? Yeah. So- <laughs> Monmouth. Yeah. And I dare say like uh like a Yukon, right? A D1? It's the same tier. Yeah. I don't I don't think you could say that any women's basketball team is like Yukon. I mean, come on. I may be in some years Tennessee, but like oof. It's UConn. Okay, I I was trying to be a part, and I then know. I don't I don't even I know. know what Tennessee team. Anyway, let's hear more about <laughs> Trish. <laughs> okay, so uh, so Trish went on to major in computer science and graduated from Monmouth in seventy nine, nineteen seventy nine. Uh, she then worked as a software developer. For 15 years. And in 1988, she began working with this little, you know, tech startup company, maybe y'all have heard of, called Microsoft. Um, which. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> which, uh, just side note, uh, Trish got coin, okay? She was, she was one of the first employees of Microsoft. And uh, um, as you'll hear later, uh, The coin is plentiful over there. So uh, she was committed. So after after getting on um, with the Microsoft team, she was just like look around and realize that she was the only queer person. A lot of times she was the only black person very often. And in one of the interviews that I'll link in the episode notes, she talked about the black tax that came along with that position where she would often have to do things outside of her job description, like go to job fairs to be like the black face. Yeah, yeah. So the comp yeah, so the company would look more, you know, diverse, diverse than, than it, it actually, actually was. was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whew, so many of us in our industries know that black tax. So um so she she was really vocal about this at Microsoft and quickly became the company's first senior diversity administrator. Um, and so really pushed for Microsoft to be to hire and and uh, support more black and queer um, tech folks. She left Microsoft in 1996. She she basically says that she got tired of being doing that pushing. Right. And, and being the only voice. Um but she continued to see that there was a persistent lack of diversity in tech jobs. So she took matters into her own hand and did what so many, like the, a legacy of black women have done. I'll do it her myself. And crea- <laughs> yeah, I fuck it, I'll do it myself. And created her own tech school for black kids in K through eight. Um, and so I just want to read a little bit about uh, the school. All right, so Trish uh, became co-founder of the Technology Access Foundation, which is based in Seattle, um, out here in my neck of the woods this time. Uh, And it's a Seattle-based organization that's designed to provide STEM um, skills to children of color. So she became the full-time like director and like you know doing all the functioning for this thing after leaving Microsoft and um she has contributed she's continued to contribute over $150,000 a year 
to wow. uh, the Technology Access Foundation. So, like I said, Trish got coined. So, the whole goal of the program that she created, uh, which is like a training school within itself, is to increase math and tech literacy for kids in K through eight. And something that she found is like, I think, uh, I think we were actually talking about this when we were all at South by Southwest. But it's not that black kids or kids of color are any less interested in tech industries. It's just the the tech gap, right? So yeah, not yeah, having computers yeah. at home. Yeah, not not having graphing calculators, all this stuff, right? So she she has aimed every year to take on about 70 kids in K through 8 and close that tech gap. Um, she teaches them, the program teaches them things from Everything from programming to how to uh, develop your own uh, website, um, college college entrance and access stuff because that that is also a place where kids of color drop off, like the the leap from high school to college. Um, she's funded about uh, two hundred five to twelve year olds to take computer classes. Uh, over the over, since um, the program started wow. in 1996, so yeah, she she aims to be like the lead program in preparing African Americans to go into tech industries. So okay, Trish, right? <laughs> and so if all of that wasn't enough, I just wanted to end this uh, queer walk segment uh, celebrating Trish with two major accomplishments. So. First, in 2018, she won the Crossout Courage Award in technology for her contributions to the field um, and was awarded an honorary doctorate uh, from Seattle University for her contributions to the tech industry as well. So, shout out to Trish uh, creating uh, virtual lanes for us as black queer folks and and i'll link uh the article that crosscut did on um on trish in the description to this episode okay oh my gosh thank you so much for uh um illuminating all of these uh these wonderful little tidbits and insights about trish you're welcome (laughs) black black history is alive All right, Nikita, we're going to move it on along to Community Contributors. Yeah. Mm. Still running with that. Okay. You Well, you ain't came up with not a damn thing better, have you? You're right, I haven't. Have you? It's... All right, then. Okay. Don't critique, contribute. All right? Where the <laughs> fuck did you even learn that? Anyway. Anyway. Can you give, um, for some folks, this might be their first episode of Queer Walk. So can you give a quick introduction to what Community Contributors is? Yes, so the Community Contributor segment is the segment where we highlight and hear from you all. Uh, Like Money and I always say, um, you know, we're friends in real life. So if we just wanted to like kiki with one another, we would do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean you know, that we would have a community to listen to, respond to, and be a part of our foolishness and shenanigans. But because we do have a community, we, you know, we wouldn't have this podcast if it weren't for you all. So again, this is just the segment where we highlight 
and hear from you all, the community. And we're hearing what from you all? Your contributions. Okay, we get it, Nikita. <laughs> fuck. Did you Can't just ask say her to fuck? Intro nothing. Can't ask her to intro nothing. You just a mess. Um. All right. So in this week's community contributors, obviously, who's the mainstay? And Martinez back always. <laughs> Hit us up on the Cash app. Thank you so much, M. Martinez. And, you know, we got some some things to come from M. That's Martinez right. That's well. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, didn't want to uh, continue with Community Contributors without giving a huge shout out to Essie over at Bella Media. So, Essie did a piece with us um, and, like, did a write-up on us for Bella Media Channel. So thank you so much, and we'll put the link yes. in the description. It was, I feel like it was really good. Yeah, absolutely. We got, we got some quotes in that interview, Nikita. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was good. So shout out to Essie. Thank you so much for highlighting us. Um, it really warms our hearts, like encourages us to keep it coming. Uh, and y'all, please go check out Essie's piece, share it, read it. Like I said, I think me and Nikita, you know, we dropped some gems in that in that interview. You know, we got so uh, some hot lines that y'all can make hot songs. As the young people say, I think they would say bars. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, wow, look at all these patrons. This is so great. So, shout out to Amira for upping their pledge. And uh, warm regards and love to Stephen, Marielle, and Khadija for all becoming new patrons. Yes. Thank y'all. Okay. And would you would you like to continue with the Borders of Faith? Oh my God, of course I would. Should I just do the whole podcast by myself? All right. Moving right along. <laughs> so, the Borders are Fake. Shoutouts. What are these? Uh, money and me, to a lesser extent, are just not that great at um, geography. But it's like, wow, you to a lesser extent. I'm just. Okay, I mean, bitch. I'm just calling the facts right. the facts. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I have plenty strengths. Okay, you have you have geography many strengths. Not among them, you have many strengths. <laughs> there, there's no doubt about that. Anyway. Um, th- the Borders are Fake shout out is that these are the cities who haven't been in our top 10, you know, listen to cities. And, you know, like Money always says, especially when you think about, um, I feel like there's like this image of this, like, of like queer people only or mainly being in cities. But it's like, we know that queer mm-hmm. people are everywhere. Small towns, big towns, hamlets, villages, whatever. So this is where this is basically the segment where we like to demonstrate our poor grasp of geography and also shouting out uh, folks who aren't in you know the major cities like you know New York, Chicago, blah blah blah. Who but who are still steadfast queer walk listeners? That's right. So you want to do them shout outs? Yes. Oh my god, this is my this is where my uh, this is like a second home to me, Richmond, Virginia. What? How come Richmond's never been in the top? I don't know. But shout out to Richmond. Shout out to yes. Richmond. I have fond memories in Richmond and uh, other things. Yeah. 
and other things. Well, I won't ask on air. <laughs> All right. The next <laughs> shout out is Walnut Creek, California. This just seems like a suburb screaming with racist whites, but <laughs> whoever's in Walnut Creek, it seems to be a whole gaggle of you all. We appreciate that you all are listening. So thank you, Walnut yes. Creek. Thank you. I, lo- I love how it took the West Coast a while to get on to Queer Walk, but now they're here. I think it's because you <laughs> moved out there. And I feel like we also spent a lot of time slandering the West Coast, so there was really no incentive <laughs> For them to feel like meaningful community members. If, you know, we kept slandering a whole coast. Yeah. I feel like we've called them in at this point instead of calling them out. Call them motherfuckers to the carpet. Kidding. (laughs) This last one is like wild to me. Uh, Ames, Iowa? Iowa. Come on. Yeah. Is it it Ames? Is it Ames? I, I'm pretty I'm, sure in Iowa it's Ames. Okay. <laughs> All right. I've never even been to Iowa. Yeah. I met a person through, I met a person from Iowa on a job, and I was like, wait, but where are you really from, though? <laughs> they were like, yeah. but is it Ames? Isn't that where Iowa State is? I don't know anything about Iowa. Okay. Okay. They, I, they have. Um, ugh, I just don't know anything about Iowa. I've never wanted to live there. Sure. Why not? Is, it, is that Iowa? Yeah. Sure. Idaho, Iowa, <laughs> Illinois. I, don't I don't know. Well, shout out to Iowa. Um, I didn't know what IA stood for, so I had to look it up. That's why it was so wild to me because I was like, "That's how little I think of Iowa." I'm like, I don't even know your initials. <laughs> We love you um, just the same. So thanks again for listening. Speak Ames. for yourself, kid. <laughs> Kidding. Thank you. Wow. Thank, thank you so wow. much to the Amesians. They're probably called Amers. <laughs> I bet they're probably called a lot of things. But anyway, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I, I shouldn't even be this nasty to the Iowans. The aimers. <laughs> all right. No, ser- in all seriousness, uh, we appreciate, you know, folks who listen all over. We don't care where you listen. We just care that you listen. Even if you're, you know, listening in Iowa. That was, vi- that was very Fraser Crane of you. All right. Go ahead. Can someone please just tell me what happens in Iowa? Are you stuck you there? This Are you stuck there? Do borders of fate. Do you want to move? Are there black people, people of color? What's the queer scene like? You don't know. Iowa could be like Wakanda. You don't even know. Okay, that's like the actually the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my natural. Have you life. ever been? Have you ever been to Ames? No. You don't know. All right then. Okay. Yeah. Well, Wakanda Ames. Yeah. I'm just saying, you thinking it's a poor agricultural farming community. That's not that's Iowa. not what I I don't it's not even thinking about it as a poor agricultural farming community. It just it just feels like a place that's just like I don't know. I feel like the way people this and this might be fucked up, the way that like it's like I am from the South. I've lived in the South my whole life, so the stereotypes about the South bother me. Once 
when we start getting out west, I start to get very nervous. Like on that drive when we drove you out to Tacoma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And it's like, I know that there are like, you know, it's important to remind us, you know, myself that there are like indigenous people uh, and nations there. But it just feels like the whitest of white to me when you it start does. getting out west like that. It also feels just like a lot of empty space. Yeah. Like when we drove through Montana, I was just like, this is just a big empty state. Yeah. Just give the land back. Give it Y'all back. Not doing nothing with You're not doing it. nothing with it. Give it back. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move it along to the mental moment with money. I bet you're wondering what in the hell is the mental moment and who is money? I'm going to tell you. Nobody is wondering. Yes, that. they could. They could. Nobody. They could be okay. wondering that. Actually, they, they come for the money, okay? They come for me. One for the money, two for the show. <laughs> no, I'm going to call this the mental moment with Dr. Money, comma, LMFT. So, the mental moment, <laughs> the mental moment with money is the crown jewel of our show, in my opinion. And it's the segment where, oh God, I'm, I'm really trying not to go on a rant here. Why would you rant about the mental moment? Because there's a lot of grifters and fakers out there. <laughs> Charlatans. People Nikita, people who know you nothing. You to go be a guest on Scam Goddess. People. And just let me have my say. People who okay? know fucking nothing about mental health. Right? <laughs> but But tweet about it. But Instagram about it. People who are giving all kinds of unhelpful, dare I say, dangerous advice. Lucky for mm-hmm. us, the mental moment with money is not one such place. This is reputable, <laughs> empirical, real mental health tidbits <laughs> and insights from an actual mental health <laughs> practitioner. That is in essence what the mental <laughs> moment with money is. And I'm going to leave it at that. And you know what? And if you I felt you were gonna leave it at that. No, and if you felt attacked, good. Good. I don't think those people listen to this program, Nikki. Well, I hope they do. And I you know what? I I'm gonna start a flame war. All all these okay. fucking okay. Is this why we can't record late? At night, because I'm about to, <laughs> we about to have no listeners and no community contributors, because I'm going to be off the rails. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, Montanique, money, knows what she's talking about. She's been stud- not just studying this at the theoretical level, but has been an active black feminist mental health practitioner. I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... If yeah. you want to say that, you know, therapy is only rooted in... Okay, I'm, I'm done. Okay, Nikita. <laughs> so, one, so one of the, our listeners sent us this post that had, like, me and Nikita heated for like, a week. Yeah. A week. But um, I think for different reasons, like, we approached it from different perspectives, but very much so the same thing. And I think I would just say 
since Nikita likes to uh, apparently open my segment with throwing shots at other people these days. This is your 2021 bag, huh? Um, I, w- I think... I think that these critiques of therapy come from valid places. Yes. They just land. Yes. They just land with like the wrong conclusion. Montanique, that is so comradely. That that is the exact way. Wait, excuse me. That is the generous and comradely way to have this discussion. I'm so, and you. I mean, this is after a whole week of cussing people out on Instagram. So, you know, I, I had to arrive to this place. I had to work through, work through my emotion, uh, to come to this. Work through your emotion. You said work through your emotions. That's right. Oh, okay. So like affective. I must say using skills. Okay. I'm done. (laughs) You know what? I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) You know, it's just like, um, Yeah, I think it's very valid that queer folks have been, you know, uh, hurt and don't have the best experiences in therapy with therapists. Uh, You know, I did a whole mental moment on how this whole field owes us reparations as queer folks. Um, And, you know, I think that I just think that something about social media is like people latch on to these terms and these words and concept. Yeah, yeah. Is what you say? Concept creep. It's like the idea. Yes. Yeah. It's like an idea is just kind of like people get excited about it. And then like the people use terms it's so much. And yep. then they just kind of creep further and further away from, yes. you know, their intended meanings and, you know, understandings. Exactly. So, you know, I'm the first one. I mean, y'all have heard my struggle to get. To get the credentials, to get license, like I have very explicitly said that licensure is like a capitalist ex- uh, exploitative process that privileges white folks, you know. So it's like I am the first one to to be critical of how exclusive um, this like road to becoming a therapist is. But that's that's a different thing than saying therapy is white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Like, we, if we demarcated everything at its institutionalized beginning, like, that in and of itself is a, is a, a white supremacist uh, thing to do. To say that something only started when the academy said it started. Yeah. Like, when it became a field of study. Like, no, we've been this. We've been, we've been this. So, um, I went on, like, I won't say more about this here, but I just, I did a long post on Facebook and y'all know I don't even be on Facebook about like the origins of social, uh, social work and how social work was a community demand, right? Like this was a, a demand of the people to, uh, help have support when interfacing with organizations and institutions. So that's, that's another conversation for another day. It's just, uh, you know, Nikita started off throwing shots so I just wanted to kind of clarify what some of that was um all right you so basically trying to clean up some of the debris that's okay I appreciate it that was the right I'm thing not, it's just you know I really didn't want to like do a whole mental moment on that because first of all like I said last time for whatever reason these pages they garner like so much support and following that they don't need me and my 200 followers 
on my precious podcast that I spend my time curating, like giving them any more airtime. You know, it's like you got 200 some odd thousand followers. Talk your shit, (laughs) whatever. Um, But in the meantime, when, you know, when folks actually need help, I'll be here. So, uh, so this mental moment, I wanted to talk about making therapy affordable because this, I mean, this was real before the pandemic, but I know a lot of us have had changes to our income, um, changes to budgets, all these kind of things during uh, this past almost year. So this mental moment I called, oh, you can't afford therapy? Here are some O's for options that are more affordable. Is this your Young and May moment? Ooh. It's not ooh. Ooh. It's O. It's O. It's different. It's different. Okay. So here are some O's. Because y'all know I love alliteration. Or to be more specific, assonance. Because O is a vowel. Um, (laughs) to help uh, therapy be more affordable for you. All right. So the first one, my first O is open path. If y'all have not heard of open path, I'll put the link in the description to this episode. Please check it out. It's called open path collective. um, And that you can find them over at openpathcollective.org. And essentially it's right there in the title Open Path is attempting to open pathways to to mental health services for folks who couldn't usually afford them. Of course, that means that they're uh, queer, of color, inclusive, and you can get a, you can get sessions through Open Path for as little as thirty dollars a session, and I think on the higher end, sessions are like eighty dollars. A lot more affordable than the average range of full price therapy sessions that can be anywhere from one hundred and twenty to three hundred dollars. So, Open Path is really bringing that slide scale down, bitch. So, I encourage you all. <laughs> I encourage you all to head over to Open Path. It is such 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 an incredible um, resource. They have. And, and I also, I think I want to say as an aside, just because you're paying less for the therapy don't mean that you're getting a lower quality therapy. Um, a lot of the, the queer therapists that I know and admire uh, take open path. Uh, they do generous sliding scales, all kind of stuff. So you still get in the same person who's committed to the same principles of mental health or wellness, who's licensed in whatever jurisdiction, who got this, this credential and that credential. You just don't got to pay <laughs> their full fee for it. So head over to open path. Um, I can't, uh, tell y'all enough how dope open path is. I first heard about open path through, uh, Kenya therapy um and I should put I should put her uh at in the the description to this episode too because she put me onto a lot of uh of just like resources where you can find queer affirmative or queer identified therapists of color so shout out to Kenya all right so that's my first o open path my second o uh is to opt for group therapy 
Um, especially now in these times, I think so much of the anxiety of the moment is around the social isolation that we've been experiencing. I did a whole mental moment on the benefits of group therapy in episode 72. If you want to go back and check episode 72 out, um, group, group therapy is just dope as hell. Like, um, for a, for a lot of, I'll just say this really quickly. A lot of times having therapy only focused on you is intimidating for a lot of folks. And, you just feel more comfortable in like group settings, right? And so group therapy is a a perfect, perfect space for that. It doesn't have to only be focused on you. I love the like peer learning and the peer support that happens in group therapy. And it's still facilitated by a therapist who is there. So um, there's different types of group therapy. Some group therapy is focused on a specific presenting problem like Everybody who's there is working through the same thing. Or other group therapy is like identity specific. So this is like a group a group session for uh, for black lesbians, for example, you know. Um, and often group therapy is way more affordable than individual counseling sessions. So opt for group therapy. And I encourage you to check out episode 72 of Queer Walk the Podcast to hear more about how dope group therapy is. My third O is options for sliding scale. Make sure you ask your therapist if they have sliding scale options. So every therapist of color I know, they have their advertised price and then they have the price that they are willing to take for you to get your ass in the session. Yeah. Yeah. So um, never, never be afraid to ask a therapist, even if you're in therapy now with somebody and you're seeing them and okay, finances change. I can't make that copay right now. Is there anything that you are willing to do? Um, Like I said, every therapist of color I know has has a sliding scale option. Um, And if that sliding scale needs to slide down a little bit more. Don't be afraid to ask that either. I'm telling y'all, uh, every therapist I know has an absolute bottom that they're willing to take. Um, and then their advertised price, you know, uh, that people who can have the who have the means can pay that. Uh, and it offsets the cost of therapy for other people. I know some therapists who they do um, like full full fee for folks who can afford to pay it. And then they have like five or so slots that are open for comp- for totally free sessions. So just ask. There's nothing wrong with asking about options for a sliding scale. Number four is organizations and school counseling centers. I think I said this on a past episode too, but it bears repeating. Um, You know, repetition helps stuff sink in. Check with local uh, community-based organizations. They usually have lower fees than private practices um, or large group therapy practices. Um, So places like hospitals, community agencies, they often have uh, therapists, social workers that you can see for sessions at low or no cost. A lot of them have grants where um, they just have a mental health professional that they pay. So you all you got to do is do the paperwork to be enrolled. So check out some, some agencies around you. And any university that has a, a mental health counseling program, yep. 
a mental health center. They often have a training clinic where the students who are active in the program are seeing clients for free or very little, like 5 to $25 per session. So check those out. If there's a school in your area that has a master's or a PhD program in any kind of counseling, chances are they also have a clinic where you can go be seen for um, much, much lower fees than you would be paying if you were paying for a private practice therapist. So organizations and school counseling centers. And last but not least, because at the beginning of this, I was talking about how hot I was. So my last O is organize a support group. So contrary to what's happening on social media, where there's this, um, there's, there's, I feel like there's this opposition being created against peer, peer support versus therapy. Right. Um, and like these, again, like I said, like these valid critiques of therapy being like this inherently hierarchical, whatever, whatever, and like peer support, not being that, um, and being like an older practice. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the like weeds of this, but like peer support is also like a regulated thing. It's often overseen by licensed therapists. Uh, You can become a credentialed peer support specialist. And I think that, I think just uh, putting them against each other is just like a dangerous thing to do. Um, It paints therapy as like a non-radical space and peer support as this, you know, radical alternative. It also assumes that therapists ain't never been through shit and don't also have life uh, experiences um, to pull from and doing this stuff. It's just, I just, I just think that they work together to support all of our, um, mental wellness. It's, it's not an either or of like, fuck therapy because peer support is where it's at when peer support in and of itself is is a an aspect of therapy like okay but um so along that vein uh organizing a support group so i feel like it goes without saying we we say community so much on every episode that (laughs) goodness that's probably like the if if this was a uh, academic paper, it would be Queer Rock the Podcast, colon, community. Like, <laughs> that, would, that would be after the colon. <laughs> but <laughs> there's there's so much that comes from just being, like, validated and sitting with folks who, who share common experiences with you. And you don't have to... Uh, sometimes, maybe it's, maybe it's not therapy, right? Maybe every hurdle has made it to where the um it's just completely inaccessible for you right now. That's not stopping you from creating like a mutual aid mental health network, right? <laughs> right? So when we hop on our Zoom chats with all of our friends and pour into each other, that is uh, a form of care, community care for one another. Um I when when I say organize a support group though, I mean like making it consistent. That I think that's one of the big things about therapy that makes it work, the right? Is that it's a it. it's a consistency. Yeah. yeah. And so if you're going to do a friend support group to make sure that all y'all mental health stay good through this shit, um set up a time either weekly or bi-weekly where y'all can all commit 
to being present and pouring into each other. I, you know, my in my professional opinion, I would suggest at least six sessions, you know, so y'all plan out six times y'all are going to meet. Uh, six, six seems to be the magic number, even in therapy sessions. Uh, research shows that that six to seven session is where stuff starts to actually feel like it's changing in your life. So um, get a group of folks together and commit to six, six moments together. Yeah, so those are my O's for affording therapy. The first is open path. The second is opt for group therapy. And check out episode 72 of Curl Walk the Podcast. The third is options for sliding scale. The fourth is organizations and school counseling centers. And last but not least, organize a support group. Money, that was great. I think the, that one thing that you said was really key is like, these things are like should be working in tandem with like these things are not opposed yes you know to one another mm-hmm. or to different kinds of like therapeutic approaches and i feel like that's something that's mm-hmm. really 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 key that i feel like gets lost in the sauce exactly so, so. i think you know we are all trying to build communities that don't when i say well not all of us but you know the folks on our side are trying to build and imagine communities that we are not actively harmed in or harm each other in and but until we get to that space of having that care community we need every way we can to heal from the stuff that we've experienced so so yeah try something out if if it don't work try something try something else that's right and now our leftist lesbian luminary labor lecture from our little one (laughs) that made you feel good didn't it oh let me go back to earlier in the episode where you said somebody should throw me off a curb i heard that was a you know a nasty thing said because of my height but go ahead from our little one nikita it's okay nikita you know i (laughs) i think five foot is the perfect height no you You, don't we (laughs) could you always talk about how you would never even date somebody this height how we're you don't even look in our direction nikita i do look in your direction i just can't see you because i have to look down but i i never said i wouldn't date somebody five foot money I could probably go back through the archives. In fact, I bet one of our astute listeners would be like, actually, money, in episode such and such. <laughs> it's a foot, a foot difference. That's a, uh, it's, it's dear, that's nearly a foot. I, I don't have to defend my preferences here. Um, okay. uh, spoken like a true bigot. <laughs> okay. In this segment, uh, Nikita gives us I would just say, she always says that the mental moment is the crown jewel, but the word really is um, the, it's like, you know, this is the audio syllabus, and you know, when you have a syllabus, you just want to flip to the assignments, the word is the assignments, okay? It gives us our, like, marching orders, our organizing orders, Um, Nikita always breaks down some social justice jargon here, some... uh, 
article that she's read that she ties back into our community, gives us the radical histories of how we got where we are now, and where she just overall envisions queer liberation movements going in the future. And so we love her for it. Only her little brilliant ass could do this. And so well, I got to keep being little (laughs) as I sit on my couch and my feet swing. (laughs) Without further ado, Nikita, take it away. (laughs) You're so annoying. So it's so funny, even when we don't talk to prep for the show together, we're always somehow on the same wavelength. So as Money said, in talking about the Queer Walk of the Week, you know, it is in fact Black History Month. So something happened today. Um, Unfortunately, somebody passed away. And this is a person who I think, I just wanted to talk a little bit about this person. It's not going to be like very in-depth. Uh, I've, I was getting in trouble for not posting the links and I've, I posted them into the document. So they're there and Mm -hmm. ready to be perused and looked at. So by the time this will be a few days old at the time of recording, but I was on social media and there's something I was, I was like, I don't really know what I want to talk about. And then I was on social media today and I saw that Karen Lewis the former president of the Chicago Teachers Union passed away. Now, Karen Lewis is so important because she was a black woman. And like I said, she was the president of the Chicago Teachers Union. And when people, one of the phrases I kept seeing people use to describe her that I thought was, I agree with, and I think it's absolutely right, is that she is one of the most important labor leaders of the 20th and 21st century. Mm. Um, And I think it's rare. I think, especially given how people tend to think about unions, even though that, like, it's kind of the trope and the stereotype of, like, a union worker is not actually, does not actually match up to like the demographics in terms of who who's most likely to be union and um the kinds of issues that unions raise and it's so interesting because the chicago teachers union is right now in the process of really like trying to negotiate if not even negotiate fight for its members around making sure that like teachers in the ctu are saying hey we don't want to go back to school in person because it's not safe because we're still in the midst of the fucking pandemic, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this fighting spirit that we know that the you know the CTU, um, you know, has had, and I first personally became aware of Karen Lewis in 2012. So the Chicago's Teachers Union, for people who may not remember, or those who do remember, in 2012, uh, I think it was 2011 or 2012, the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike. And it wasn't just the fact that they went on strike, but um, 
they had widespread support from the community. Like overwhelming support from parents and students. And so Karen Lewis was just a fierce, militant union worker and um, organizer. And so um, she was, prior to being holding office in the union, for 20-something years, Karen Lewis had been a chemistry teacher. And it wasn't just... It wasn't just the fact that she was uh, a chemistry teacher, but she was a nationally board certified teacher. And wow. the national, a nationally board certified teacher is one of the highest possible certifications yeah. available in K through 12. And she was, and as far as I know, and I think uh, this is about the fifth time I've referenced this book, Jay McAlevey's No Shortcuts. But oh and, you you reference it on every other episode. But she spends in in her book No Shortcuts. Jay McAlevey has one chapter dedicated to the Chicago Teachers Union. And so, and the interesting thing about Karen Lewis, it wasn't um, it wasn't just her, but you know, where I'm talking about her because you know she's no longer with it, with us. Um, so Karen Lewis was a part of a slate. In the CTU in 2009. They were part of a caucus. And the caucus was called CORE. And CORE stood for. The Caucus of Rank and File Educators. And basically it was a caucus. That was really trying to implement. A social justice. Democratic. Small d democratic. In terms of like democratizing. Like the organization. Mm-hmm. And trying to make sh- and trying to push the union to take on like issues around school closures, gentrification, and racism. The old guard in the CTU, um, it was basically leadership made all you know most of the decisions when contract negotiations were, negotiations would come around. The union officials, the union leadership would basically make these like backroom decision, decisions and backdoor deals. And the union uh, union membership, the rank and file, would be in the dark. So, Kara Lewis was a part of this slate in 2009 to be at... And they were challenging the old guard in the CTU. And they were... Challenging things around like so that was in essence what the strike in 2012 was about. Like if folks might remember, the Chicago public, the Chicago public school was deeply under attack, right? Mm-hmm. And that was at the time when Rahm Emanuel was the mayor, and so Rahm Emanuel was you know liberal, you know a, a Democrat. Uh, he was a, a neoliberal Democrat where he was pushing for charter schools, you know, school closures, and teachers were vilified, right? And they were basically like, like one of the things that I think Jay McAlevey points out is that, or no, I think it was in another article from In These Times, like the labor publication, Rahm Emanuel was trying to make it seem as if the CTU wanted to keep the status quo, Right. And whereas he was saying that, like, 
you know, they didn't care about the students. And that's why, you know, he actually cared about students and not just students, but black and brown students. And that's why black and brown students needed to have charter schools, right? That's the kind of schools. And their, their schools needed to be closed or privatized. And so you've got this slate of core, of uh, the caucus of uh, rank and file educators that were like, um, and Karen Lewis was so key in this because she was like, um, actually, um, like our students deserve to have fully functioned, well-resourced and funded public schools. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to try to find this quote. Oh, and I mean this the most respectful way possible, but Karen Lewis was also just a bad, a bad motherfucker too. <laughs> so um, let me read. So she had an respectfully, respectfully, respectfully right? <laughs> so um, when she's so when the core caucus, when that when the core slate um, takes over defeating the old caucus in the union, this is what she says. Um, so she was like, so Karen Lewis was saying that there was a crisis in terms of like education in Chicago, right? And so she says, corporate America sees K through twelve K through twelve public education as three hundred and eighty billion dollars that up until the last ten or fifteen years they didn't have a sizable piece of. This so-called school reform is not an education plan; it's a business plan. 15 years ago, this city purposely began starving our lowest income neighborhood schools of greatly needed resources and personnel. Class sizes rose and schools were closed. Then standardized tests, which in this town alone is a $60 million business, measured that slow death by starvation. These tests labeled our students, families, and educators' failures because standardized tests reveal more about a student's zip code than a student's academic growth. And so, yes. Right. And, and, and she's yes. just so sharp. And it's like, mm -hmm. um, like that was such a powerful, you know, sharp rebuke of like the privatization of education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's important to point out one of the things that Jay McAlevey points out is that core, the, the caucus of rank and file educators got its start by reading this book together. And the book was called uh, The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. And for folks who don't know, The Shock Doctrine was, um, this is Naomi Klein's book where she's talking about how capitalism, how neoliberal capitalism and like the our corporate rulers under neo neoliberal capitalism were using disasters to implement privatization and one of the um examples that she uses um in that book is what happened is the complete decimation of the public school system in New Orleans in the wake of hurricane mm -hmm. katrina yep. right and we know yep. that that is a raced and a classed phenomenon so of course yep. Dealing with some very similar dynamics, it's not a coincidence that the like the caucus of rank and file educators was reading that book. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And like that was mm -hmm. the book that helped like push them and inspire them to yes. actually make some kind of concrete change in their um, in their union, right? Mm -hmm. So 
the they end up having that that strike in 2012, and then just a few years later, like in 2000, I think it was 2014, 2015, Kara Lewis um, was putting out feelers to run for mayor in Chicago. And unfortunately, she um, ended up having some health issues, and so she passed recently because of uh, issues related to brain cancer. And, and unfortunately, those um, health issues took her out of the running um, of mayor mm-hmm. to be the mayor. Mm-hmm. But she was also known for being quite a firebrand. And I've mentioned uh, Rahm Emanuel a lot. And there's this part that was so fucking hilarious to me. Where, um, so I guess she was just a no holds barred, tell it like it is kind of person. Like that was the reputation that she had. And so somebody was, um, so they had a meeting like the CTU was having a meeting with Rahm Emanuel and Rahm Emanuel got really nasty with Karen uh, Lewis in this meeting. I think it was around contract negotiations. And so Karen Lewis report somebody asked her like what was what happened in that meeting and she said Rahm Emanuel said well what the fuck do you want and she responded more than you fucking got (laughs) right and so um like that's just the kind that's just kind of bad motherfucker that Karen Lewis was right (laughs) and something the one of the last things that I'll um well, there's two things I want to end on. So one of the one of the reports she said, "Give me everything." You she said, "She says more Chicago public schools." <laughs> what the fuck you got? What the fuck do you want more than you fucking got? <laughs> but here's the thing that I think is so powerful about her leadership, and I think when you look at and you just think about the wave of um, teacher strikes that have happened. And like the last mm-hmm. three to five years, it's like it is no, it is not an overstatement to say that that is because of the leadership. Like the CTU, the Chicago Teachers Union under Karen Lewis's leadership has really been a beacon, not just for teachers, but for the labor movement as a whole. And they put to, they put a report together in the midst of like the, uh, their contract negotiations and the report was titled "The Chicago The Schools Chicago Students Deserve: uh, Research-Based Proposals to Strengthen Elementary and Secondary Education in Chicago Public Schools." And just listen to these kinds of demands or the the recommendations because they're really key. So it's like they're talking about um, having small class sizes, educating the whole child, meaning art, gym, theater, dance, music. And other like sort of electives and activities, create more robust wraparound services such as free transit fares, more school nurses, uh, addressing inequalities in the school system described as de facto apartheid, um, and then lifting respect and develop the professionals, lift all salaries, hire more classroom aides. Um, Provide quality facilities and fully fund education. And the thing that is so powerful and the thing that was so inspiring it, inspiring about the CTU that they did masterfully was that they connected the working conditions of the students, uh, the working conditions of the teachers and other staff to the learning conditions of learning. the students, yeah. right? 
And so, and this article from In These Times is from 2014, where someone basically did kind of like a postmortem on uh, Karen Lewis's run for uh, mayor. Like, these are some of the things that she was supporting. And as a labor, and she was, this was like unheard of for a labor leader. And it's not a coincidence that she was supporting these things as a black woman. You know, as a not just like as a union militant, but as a black woman u- union militant. So some of the things that she was supporting, like she expressed explicit public support and endorsed, um, was um, fi- supporting um, financial uh, transactions tax. Uh, it's basically taxing the rich, right? Which would generate billions of dollars for the city's treasury. She supported $15 an hour minimum wage. And, you know, obviously. And she always made the link between poverty and violence. And the, the talk about why prioritizing higher wages and union rights were critical. Um, not just as a workers' rights issue, but as a social justice issue. And I remember when I talked about reparations, I talked about this, the John, um, about the, the torture of yeah. J- by the, the Chicago police commander, John Budge, John Burge. So that was the police commander that had been, that was basically presiding over this barbaric regime of torture of like black folks, particularly like black men in Chicago. And so as the president of the Chicago's teachers union, Karen Lewis endorsed an ordinance uh, to support the reparations to those victims of the police torture. You know what I mean? Yes. And so Mm -hmm. that to me is just so key and it's just so critical because like, this is just not who, like this like this is like the kind of like profound inspiring like social justice anti-racist unionism that mm-hmm. like we desperately need in our country and like it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. again that it was a black woman that led the CTU mm-hmm. that like ushered in um like and created this new wave and this new generation of like left wing insurgent militant teacher organizers and union uh, militants, and so I don't know. It's like I think that there's also a way in which we always talk about unions, just like focusing on just like wages and bread and butter issues. But what again, the power of the CTU is that they were able to expand to talk about gentrification, right? And again, yep. stopping the attacks not just on public. Um, public schools but like making the connection to the broader attacks on like public sector workers um, more Mm -hmm. broadly and it's just so important to me that like one of the most important labor leaders of our time um, is um, you know is and was a black woman like Karen Lewis Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. uh, we just hope that she uh, rests in power and rests in peace and it's like her legacy like we can it's just so wild because it's like we can see we are when you think about what was going on in West Virginia, when you think about what was going on in mm-hmm. L.A. and in Arizona, it's like that to me, again, is a living legacy of um, Karen Lewis. And I know that so many people, myself included, were and have been and will continue to be inspired by her legacy. So I think that's just an important piece of black history, you know, that we should uh, talk about, celebrate and amplify right now. Mm hmm. I love that you kept saying like black militant histories. Yes. Like, that and that uh you know this is you know her legacy cast this big shadow but this is like now. Yeah. This is the yeah. now. We're doing this stuff. Yes. 
currently. Yeah. I I really appreciate you um speaking out I, I what what do I want to say? The exalted ancestor Karen Lewis into the space. Um but I also was just thinking about you you said it kind of I think like just in passing that there's the stereotype of who union members are and then there's like who is actually most likely to be yeah. a union member. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just always appreciate uh, you highlighting that and talking about the black women who are doing incredible labor organizing in unions. So. Exactly. Thank you, Nikita. Um, so Nikita has the link to the Indies Times article on Karen Lewis and also the bookshop link to um so y'all can pick up no shortcuts yes the book that nikita this is like my sixth time referencing it in like the past (laughs) like four episodes so yeah and also if anybody has a connect with bookshop like come on they're searching bi-weekly audio thank you you know we should we should uh have a connect at bookshop at least get a, a discount code for Quirox something. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to move it on along to our topic segment. Our topic segment is like our queer potpourri segment. It's where we discuss all the things that don't fit into our other segments. But today, on this episode, we, we're going to do a combined yeah. like topic curve chronicle. Yeah. Okay. Because our topic... Is also like a curved chronicle, and um, our curved chronicles is where we talk about dating woes and wins of in our lives and in your lives. Yeah. So, uh, do we need a a like yeah a pseudonym for this writer? Yeah, let's call her Roz. Roz. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Roz wrote us a letter and it's a pretty lengthy one. So me and Nikita are going to take turns reading it. Lengthy. Oh, all right. You want me to take the first half? Yeah. The first part? Take the first two paragraphs. All right. Hey, Money and Nikita, Roz writes, I hope you both are safe and doing well. However, you're defining that for yourselves these days. I don't expect you to share this letter or anything, but if you do, you can just omit my name or give me a fake one, which we did, Roz. Mm -hmm. And why would you think we didn't read it? We love getting letters from y'all, okay? Like, we need topic suggestions. We, We need, please write us, write us, write us. I've been dragging my so Roz continues. I've been dragging my heels on sending this, but thought to reach out a couple months ago. To try to condense it, my main questions for you all are this. Have either of you felt the need to break up a romantic relationship, but were afraid of how that might exacerbate the other person's mental health struggles? Also, what is your experience of knowledge with relationships renegotiation, romantic friendships, all kinds, especially with fellow friends, activists, Slash POCs in queer and trans community. All right. So, some context. My partner and I have known each other generally for 15 to 16 years uh, since we were in undergrad. We've been friends, then members and comrades of the queer community. Then over a decade later, dated. 
So fall of 2016 coughed up a ton of challenging stuff in both of our lives, but I noticed some questionable patterns that I wasn't able to shoulder on my own as this person more and more began to say, quote, you're the only thing worth staying alive for, unquote, and things like Mm. that. We dated a little over a year, then I broke it off at the end of 2016 when I realized I needed to be one of their best friends again, but couldn't do that as their girlfriend. We did remain friends, and that was actually good, but it was challenging and particularly tough for them because they still wanted us to be together. However, we remained in contact as support system friends through that. Last summer, we started dating again. This is so gay. I do not regret it. It's just become clearer to me that we continue to be in different places in life and want different things in our personal lives, to put it succinctly. I've felt the need to shift course for several months now, but there's always something grand or challenging or a new epiphany that they seem to be going through that really shakes them that I felt is urgent or just critical, and I can and I see how I can support them through that, uh, just as chosen family uh, from all these years. Plus, ending something during the pandemic, I guess, just felt rude or damaging? I don't know. Hmm. After lots of self-work and with the help of a counselor for a while, I realized how much I've put my life on hold in some ways by doing this. I know that staying in a situation out of fear, even if it's fear of someone getting hurt, is not the way I do honest or loving living. And it's not in line with my values of liberation or how I do queer community, to be honest. I really believe in finding the iterations that best help us all get free chapter by chapter, even if those chapters end or even don't end up being ones we much cared for. We both have agreed throughout the years that we are chosen family no matter what we become to each other, but I'm struggling with timing and next steps. I'm afraid of re-traumatizing them. They've described losing me the first time as traumatic experience, whether it was or not, how they described it reveals something. What does it reveal, Roz? No, okay, let me finish. Uh, it sounds like we're both keen to talk to talk relation to talk relationship stuff soon, especially as they enter their final year of grad school. So I'm grateful for that. But each time they share more of what they've been going through during the pandemic and our current uprisings, uh, I think, damn, what would a breakup do to them now? It's starting to affect me in adverse ways and has forced me to evaluate how much I believe in my own desires. I'm good with myself, my own company, and investing in my future, but I'm stuck with this because of the history and the worry about their mental health. I am horrible at letting people down knowingly. If ever if ever there was a year to step up my dedication to my own black ass, black girl magical life, it truly is magical. This is it. I want to assert myself, but mindfully, not recklessly. Do you have any advice or thoughts about how to go about discussing a shift and how to approach our connection? That's a lot there. So it's a lot of context, but it feels like you've already made the decision and it's clear what type of relationship you need to have to this person. Mm. And it's not an intimate partnership. Okay. I feel like they know that. Yeah. But I feel like the hard thing is how do I feel like it's a good question in terms of like, how do you navigate 
like it seems clear to me, like we said, that Roz knows this, but how do you actually navigate and go through making whatever hard decisions, especially when somebody's got like I mean that phrase is like really telling when they're like when they said that that partner was like you're the only thing worth staying alive for like that's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and it's like it that's is. and we all especially as queer people of color it's like we know that the mental health stuff and the isolation especially in the middle of a pandemic is really difficult mm-hmm. so it's like I could imagine how do you not I guess I guess basically the question that they're asking and the question I want to ask you is like how do you not be immobilized by the guilt or afraid? Do you know what I'm saying? Because that's really what it's about. So it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. how do I make a decision so, that's good for me, but that's going to be like mm-hmm. pretty devastating or hurtful to somebody who I like, love, and care about? Yeah. So when I think about guilt, it is an emotion of I have done something wrong. And in this situation, you are not doing anything wrong. You you are not hurting this person, uh, like, you know, physically or anything. This is not an, an abusive thing to end one type of relationship and still want to be in community with somebody. I think exactly what Nikita said, like, it's a lot of weight to hang all of your mental well-being on somebody else. This is like really uh randomly making me think of Jules and Rue from Oh yeah. Like you know Rue really like hung her sobriety on Jules and that that's just a lot of weight to make someone else responsible for and it's it's like actually really unfair to yeah. do so. So I mean the fir- the first thing I think is like being in a partnership in a relationship with somebody is not the only way that someone gets to be in your life. Or even mm-hmm. uh, contribute to yours. Yeah. So we can remain in a uh, community. And it sounds like y'all have done that effectively throughout your 16 years of knowing each other. Like you said, y'all, y'all went from friends to comrades to then dating to back to friends. So they know that you are going to be a person in their life, even if you aren't together. Um, I think that, yeah, the thing about guilt is like, you have to start to externalize it. Like, what is it that you're feeling like you're doing wrong? You're, you quite literally aren't doing anything wrong in like preserving yourself and recognizing that this is not an intimate relationship that adds to either of you. Yeah. Um, it's not just, not just you, this person, your partner too. Um, and that you are so much more effective at supporting, um, caring for one another outside of uh, an intimate relationship. Yeah. I think this way that they're framing loss of you as if you fell out of their life is a little unfair. It's uh, it's overlooking. I have I have a rant in me about this for another day, but I think a lot of people think of friendships as like flimsy, as not as important yeah. as other types yeah. of relationships. You are still there for this person <laughs> if you are... Um, connected in other ways and so to frame it as like losing you as a loss of you um like they had to like grieve you in some way it's like sure you have to grieve the relationship that ended like you're not their girlfriend anymore but you are still there you're still a a active contributing part of their social network so um i think so highlighting that might be helpful 
Is that what you were thinking, Nikita, about how to move through the guilt? No, I I wasn't thinking anything. I like I mm-hmm. I feel like I needed. I feel like I couldn't articulate it nearly as well as you just did. That's why I was like, mm-hmm. something I ask people when I'm working with them in like relational therapy uh, is, is this is this the way you want to have a relationship? Yeah. And so when I think about having a relationship and I, I even think about the, like thinking about the other person, right. Uh, would you want me to say that I am with you because I feel so, I was thinking that, that, yeah, you know, like there's something about that. That's like very patronizing and that, that actually will Mm -hmm. not feel good. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm so concerned about your mental health that like I feel like sort of guilted into staying yeah. in this relationship. It's it if you're not enthusiastically, you know, right. <laughs> in a relationship with me, that's not the type of relationship I want. I hear Roz writing through like her frustration in this letter, but I just think that it can't it can't feel as good as this person is making it out to be that that y'all are in this situation yeah. either. I mean, the only thing I worry, I think that you're right when you say, like, you know, they've navigated this before. But something they mentioned earlier in the letter was that I guess I wondered to what extent the other person, the partner or the former partner was like actually having a sincere friendship with them or was it like a I'm going to say that we're friends but I'm secretly mm-hmm. hoping mm-hmm. that we go back to being more than friends or something else cuz mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. cuz the second part of the question is like how to renegotiate you know these different kinds of relationships you know transition yeah. from one relationship to the other and it's like I know that in my experience, I think it can be, I think that gets tough because it can be easy to like pretend, not pretend, that's maybe not a fair word, but I think it can be easy to like trick yourself into thinking that it's like a very clear, clear cut platonic friendship when it's like sometimes like being in those relationships or like in the process of transitioning from one kind of relationship to another, I think it can be really difficult, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? It's like it's not mm-hmm. as clear cut mm-hmm. and as easy, I think, uh, as we would like it to be. And so sometimes I think it doesn't have to be like permanent space, but sometimes I wonder if like a little bit of space might be absolutely like important. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. that's the first. That was the first um, thing I was gonna say is. Um, and renegotiating, you need space. You need space away. Space and time, um, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, especially when it seems like somebody who is, like, so um, activated by a relational connection yeah, with you. Yeah, Like, ending, ending it in one form and giving each other space and time to sort of uh, breathe and grieve that ending. Yeah. Then to renegotiate the type of friendship that you all need. And absolutely... Exactly what you said, Nikita. Like, having an authentic 
friendship, <laughs> uh, a mutually respectful friendship, and not just sort of like waiting around to to see if this will rekindle again. Yeah. Um, like, can can you love me in this other way? Can you be in community with me in this in other, these other way? ways? Yeah. Other, right, and see other parts of me. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have no. You know, I wish I had like a little cheat sheet for how to renegotiate relationships, but it's really, um, it's really just the slow work of constantly communicating it's, with, yeah, with yeah, each other. Yeah. Like, uh, what, what is going to be different about a friendship with each other than a relationship? Yeah. Like what's, what's going to be those things? What are your boundaries in yeah. a friendship? With an ex, you know, is this is it like we can be friends, but I can't be the friend that you talk to about your new bae right, or whatever, right. you know, like be honest with yourself about what would feel good for you in a friendship. Yeah, yeah. Be honest with mm-hmm. them, and I think most importantly, be honest with yourself. Ooh, mm-hmm. Lord, because I've done that. It's like, no, it's fine, it's great. And that's when the narrator was like, it was not, in fact, great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I just want to like uh, add another thing to this. Maybe sort of like a strategy for Roz, who wrote the letter. Um, y'all have a lot of shared community, and I think this is a thing that a lot of queer folks yes. of color like experience when we date each other. Even queer people in general, it's like yeah, we break up, but we still gonna see each other at all the kickbacks. Yeah. So, <laughs> maybe maybe not so many of the kickbacks in the, the pandemic. Maybe we still gonna be on all the same Zoom calls, but. Uh, so like make this sort of be like a community thing like this you, it sounds like this person obviously needs a lot of support yeah, around yeah yeah mental stability you know staying okay which is fine you know we all we all have our ups and downs and uh it sounds like they they've been like going to therapy they you know trying to get stuff together that's fine so being honest about how this is going to change y'all community spaces as well, right? Yeah. So um, I don't know how comfortable y'all are with talking with your friends in general. I, I mean, I, I, I literally did a research study on, on political couples. So I saw, there's, there's examples of this before. I'm thinking specifically about a Zapatista couple that I wrote about in my dissertation, who they got, you know, they got the homies together and was like, look, we're breaking up. And I, while we, this love situation is not working out between us, we are still very much so politically committed to each other. And we don't want this to impact the organizing, right? Yeah. So like how having that open conversation with their friend group, with their organizing groups, um, I think this also takes some of that weight off of being the only the person only who sustains person, them. Yeah. Yeah, like we we are sustained in community. It's the way that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have a network, right? If Nikita was the only person I had to depend on for stability, I would be in terrible shape because as y'all see, she's always degrading me. That's not even (laughs) remotely true. Thankfully, I have a whole um, web of support that I can reach out to. Yeah, money Um, does have a lot of support. Is the, yeah. and it's second rate support compared to my support, but it is support oh nonetheless. Here we go. I don't believe in hierarchies of support. Oh, I do. So 
I'm a support anarchist. Oh so. my fucking god! Make a um, make a cute image of it and put it on Instagram. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, Roz. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm even thinking about things like safety planning uh, and therapy. So yeah, I've I've done yeah I've done this thing before where. If we're doing um, like self harm safety planning, I'll be like, okay, invite invite your friends, right? Invite your friends to the sessions who you've trusted to tell about like self harm and, and who you can call on when you feel down, right? Right. right. Um, who who's gonna show up with like the popcorn in the movie when you feeling down right, right. at night? <laughs> you know, like um, having actually inviting other people to this conversation about like y'all know we love each other. Um, we've just decided to end our relationship, but we still very much so want to be in community with one another. Yeah. So we need y'all. We need y'all support through this. Yeah, that's um, you don't oh have man, to do that's it so by healthy. How come you didn't tell me that about a year ago? Never mind. Well, Nikita, you're not a really receptive person to feedback when you are experiencing relationship disillusionment. That's all. Disillusionment. <laughs> Actually, I would know. I was probably more like a. I don't think I had the maturity to do that. To be like, oh, this Nikita is. Nikita just goes, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then she gets angry at you for no reason. That's not true. And then Because I would have been sits like. on your living room floor right. and goes through a whole okay. roll of toilet tissue crying. Okay. Anyway, that's. We're going to be sure to edit that out. But, um. Because <laughs> it's like, no, that's like the healthy to be like, hey, like we're dealing with this community mm-hmm. i feel like my not so closeted thing was hey friends this is happening if you don't choose me you're dead to me exactly that i think that's healthy when, no it's not when y'all operate in the same communities nikita that that could cause like a a breakup of of, of like vibrant communities that just don't need to happen like, I feel like so many communities have fallen apart over some petty shit that people just could have talked out. And I will, and that's not external to me. Like, there are so many communities that I was a part of that I'm like, I really can't call this, this person now right. over some, some petty shit that could have easily been no. aired out. I feel like you're being very mature in this episode, and I don't know what this is about. <laughs> I'm not. So you saying I'm not mature, bitch? No, I'm saying I'm you mature. are, and I'm just like this is. I'm like I don't like it. Gross, yuck. What? I don't want it. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, well, community should be. I feel like you're like. These are the things I normally believe, and it's like actually getting on my nerves that you're being so thoughtful, mature, and all of this, that, and the third. I'm like, no, I'm like, scorched earth, tear these motherfuckers to parts, discord (laughs) all up and through, and you're like, no, we can, whatever. (laughs) I won't even tell you the stuff money be saying on the phone, off mic. She can play. She can play these little black feminist games on the mic, but I know who she is for real. I could be this person. I could talk through like how to 
how to work through breaking up and still staying in community with somebody. This is what I do. I bet this, I, I know, do. but still, but there's also times where you can be petty. I'm like, where's petty money? Uh, I'm like, I'm bored what? with the maturity. The same way you have to put work into having healthy relationships, you also have to put work into having healthy friendships. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I mean, in all seriousness, I feel like everything you said about this is spot on and right. And I agree with it, even if that might not be my initial reaction. I know that that is the place that I would ultimately land and want to land. Yes. Where where would you want to be in this? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I've experienced it enough. Like, I've, I have experienced um, Nikita's, like, if you don't choose my side, you're dead to me. Enough times to know what it feels like to be in community. Who? How, who <laughs> when have you experienced that? <laughs> Nikita? <laughs> you want me to list them? List them. <laughs> Nikita. List them. Nikita Alize. Listed. You, you want Alize. Listed. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're in a mode of I guess like self self uh def, uh you just want to feel bad about yourself right now. No, that's not, I don't want to feel bad about mind. myself at all. It's like I exactly. want to be scorched earth around everyone else. Here's the thing. Here's here's the magic. Nikita knows that there has been more than one instance in which no, it's not. I have had somebody to navigate my friendships with her paramours because I I have had long standing grudges. Like like have told myself that it's on site with people over Nikita's little ass, and she's just perfectly fine with them now. But what does she do in community? If you fuck with them, you're dead to me. So how does that, how is that in opposition to you ready to fight somebody? I'm saying, I want you to fight somebody. Yes, you're saying you want me to fight somebody. Meanwhile, y'all have reconciled. Y'all are kicking it. Y'all are cool. That's not true for all of and them, though. I'm still over here because it's very hard for me. You know, my, my Venus is in Scorpio. It's all or nothing. So... It's very hard for me to go from you hurt my friend, it's fuck you forever, to huh. <laughs> and I actually think, Nikita, you don't want to go here. You see how Nikita don't never give us a Curb Chronicle, but her messy ass is over here with all these Curb Chronicles. I actually think that situation was very different. I don't think that somebody hurt you and I needed to fight them on site. That was not what happened. In that situation, you know it. That's you know that. You must remember it differently than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible whore. (laughs) Wow! So much for the sex positivity on this show. (laughs) Well, if you're gonna be a whore, be a good one. (laughs) Oh my. I mean, all of that's what. In in all seriousness, all of those things are water under the bridge. I'm not on bad terms with any former flames, lovers, exes. Nikita can recover from things. I don't know what it is about her. Meanwhile, me, like, my, my exes hate me like burning fire hatred i am blocked i am but <laughs> I f- even people i've just talked to like not but even that is like 
But I'm a very polarizing character. But <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. In the midst of these things, it feels I feel very it feels very polarizing to me. How how are you able to go from oh it's so polarizing in the moment, and then y'all are cool because because I know, never get to the we're cool place. I just am no longer. If I have any kind of romantic or like non platonic whatever with somebody, we just will never be in community again. That I mean that has that's not the uh, the exception. That's the rule for me in my <laughs> in my uh, relational life. I don't know what I, I don't know. I think it also. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that most people I've been in a relationship with, I've had some prior, some like pretty serious prior friendship or connection with them. So it feels yes. important. Like at the end of the day, it does feel important, no matter how intense my feelings may feel in the moment. It feels important to try to salvage and save mm-hmm. that relationship. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's probably because y'all had a friendship. Yeah, yeah, before. yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah, that's not me. Like you said it on the thing, you be like, "Oh, who's that with the locks?" That's what are you talking about? So you're not like having whatever relationships with your friends. It's like, oh, look at that. Who's you know who's that hottie with the locks at the uh, mm-hmm. what's that called? Juicy booty party? What's it? Juicy butt? <laughs> Juicy fruit? There's no such. There's no such thing. Poppy juicy juice. Booty. Poppy juice. Juicy, oh. juicy booty. Poppy juice. It's it really it's all sounds juice. the same to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that is a difference. Yeah. Like I, I initiate relationships. Like yeah, like it's very quick for me. Like oh, you, you're a friend, or ooh, yeah, or oh. <laughs> Not in the therapeutic O though, right? Uh no, no. If no. If if I see you as a client, like it, everything just dries right up. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm very compartmentalized when it comes to yeah, of course. <laughs> attraction. Yeah, well so. also there's a million ethical things against that, so well, of course, I'm bound by law and ethical code to <laughs> not engage in <laughs> sexual relationships with clients. <laughs> I think that's a perfect note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I wanted to talk about being uh, catfished. <laughs> okay. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> we can talk about it on the next episode. No, we have to talk about this now. Also... Cat, speaking of catfish, I tweeted about this, but I feel like I got catfish with the silhouette challenge. Because how was I supposed to know that that was a filter? <laughs> oh my god, Nikita. I was like, why does everybody have the exact same red light that has the same exact hue? I think that that, th- you catfished yourself. Because what makes more sense, Nikita? It's the internet. It's the age of apps. I've I don't even know how to we use have, I've never I don't even know how to use a filter. <laughs> so it was not it was the furthest thing from my mind that I was like there's no that it didn't even occur to me that that Instead, could have been a filter. Instead you thought that there was some like standard issue red light. I just that thought that every- people were buying some like everybody went on the internet and typed in 
sultry, seductive silhouette light. <laughs> anyway. Catfish. What's your catfish anyway, tale? My, my curve chronicle Please catfish. do. My catfish curve chronicle? Yeah. Okay, y'all. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm on the apps. Uh, try, mostly just trying to connect and meet people. It's very isolating out here. Solo quarantining in Tacoma. And I matched with this person who I thought was a brown person. I sent Nikita the pictures. What did you think? I don't even know. The picture looked like a little androgynous POC person. Yes. Right. Yes. Very, very my my cup of tea. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I like the androgynous, gender fluid, you know, uh, masculine presenting, but femme of center. Whatever, you know, like that's my thing. And so I'm like, "Mm, okay, okay. Um, And I showed, so we we were going to do like this, uh, you know, coffee run right because uh you know everything has to be outdoors quarantine pandemic and i show up and it's like this tiny little white they looked oh that's another thing they look like a super tall they look like they were about your height yes brown poc androgynous person yes and what shows up uh, a very small petite little white girl yeah and I was I was just confused. It was like I I don't think that because you because because they said something. They were like, "Oh yeah, I cut my hair. This is not a haircut, okay? Yeah, I'm a black girl. I know the power of a of a hairstyle switch up. Yeah. This is not a hairstyle switch up. This is that's a whole different ass think- person." Exactly. It's very, it's giving that this is not you in the photos. Yeah. It's giving, uh, <laughs> Neve, uh, dear Neve. <laughs> I'm like, you just, uh, I, yeah, there's just like elements of somebody that don't change with a haircut. It's like, yeah. this, uh, you look significant. Like, like first and smaller. foremost, their race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've gotten I've gotten a fair share of haircuts and I remain black after every single one. Every single one. That's just my experience though. Have I ever been catfished before? Like I think so, but not not to the extent to where the person shows up. Right. That's the um, thing. I'm like a different person. Why would you just sh- why would you even show up? Yeah. <laughs> That's guts. Yeah. That's guts. Yeah. I guess they figure, yeah. well, she, you know, she's already here anyway. Wild times. Wild times. Wild, wild, wild. <laughs> Catfishing in a whole pandemic. That's dangerous, ain't it? I mean, if you're going to catfish, it might as well be during the pandemic. I guess. Well, that's on me. See, I don't be trying to give my phone number out. Or like any other way to contact me, right, until I'm sure right, that this right. person is a yeah, right, a thing. So I, I could have video chatted or something before we met up, but I did not. So won't be caught slipping again. I will not. You know, I had this like whole like six year uh, text 
textlationship uh, with someone before. That didn't surprise me. Why does that not surprise you? You're just somebody who's like, uh, I mean, you're just like a classic extrovert. You just like crave connection. You don't know me. Okay, I don't. Well, if y'all have Curved Chronicles, you can submit them to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Or if y'all have questions like Roz. Roz, I really hope that our conversation about your situation helped at all. Let us know. Let us know. Um, Yeah, hit us up again. What would you do if you were Roz? Y'all can let us know. Use the hashtag QueerWalk to let give Roz some, you know, Advice. encouragement, some thoughts, exactly. yeah, some feedback. All right. Don't forget, y'all, the episode 100 giveaway. Um, the post will be up the same day this episode drops. So check us out on all the things. Um, follow us. Tag a Queer Walk or a Queer Pock that you would love for us to celebrate or highlight as a Queer Walk of the Week. Um, and tag a friend that you think would love this insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus. And all right. This has been Money, the Sleepless Sapphic. And this has been Nikita. You're a tired, tight cutie. Why exactly did you add tight in there? I just really needed the alliteration. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>